Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston shares a devotional about a parent's greatest challenge. Let's listen in. Hey, let me give you a scripture that I think is just absolutely amazing. Uh, it's Proverbs thirteen twenty, and it says this, Spend time with the wise and you will become wise, but the friends of fools will suffer. And the whole point that, that I want to, where I want to take that is, is um, I think as your kids spend time with you, that they glean from you the wisdom that they need in life. And so... Uh, I don't think you have to work on yourself a whole lot to to gather more wisdom. I think you possess it. Now, now here's the interesting thing. I you know, I didn't start writing books till I was uh, 50 years of age, and it really was at that time that somebody said you need to uh, start telling stories about all the kids. And I said I don't have anything to write about. I don't have any great wisdom to share. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. And what I found was I really did have. I just didn't know how to tap into it. And um, and write it down. And so I know that you have wisdom. If you're listening, mom and dad, or any grandparents that are listening, you have wisdom. It's just a matter of figuring out how I take that and utilize it. So that's that's the one thing you got to do. The second part of that is this: is that you got to remain connected um, to your kids so that they can learn from you. As the word of God in your life becomes flesh and they see that acted out in you, uh, that they would go, you know what? Well, mom and dad or grandpa and grandma have something that I want and that they would long for it. And so I would title this devotional, A Parent's Greatest Challenge. You know, People have a propensity to complain about the youth of today. Um, They always have. I mean, people have always griped about whatever the youth are doing, then there's something wrong with it. And throughout history, you can easily find these moanings and groanings about these young people and how their attitudes and actions are destroying the very moral fiber of our country. And we, meaning any of us who are older than teenagers or millennials, tend to recall our time of adolescence as a wonderful time of innocence and wonder. Nothing we did was really that bad and certainly not as damaging and destructive as the practices of youth today. (laughs) So we adopt this, you know, all is lost attitude, thinking that we're living in the worst times that have ever been. You know, I don't think that's true. And when I think back to the time when I grew up in New Orleans uh, in the 60s, I vividly remember uh, seeing the Beatles on September 16th, 1964. I saw them in City Park. Um, I was only nine years old. I remember seeing the Beach Boys. I remember the first man that walked on the moon. I remember the Ed Sullivan show, a a movie called Mary Poppins, a a TV uh, show that was called The Beverly Hillbillies. I remember watching Walt Disney and watching a young lady by the name of Debbie Meyer swim uh, in the 68 Olympics. 
I remember Woodstock, James Bond movies, The Dirty Dozen. You know, I, I, those are the things that come to my mind when I think about the 60s. And then I start thinking even more if I look back and say, well, I remember a lot of great music and good things that came out of that time. But I also remember that there were some things that went on that weren't so great. Vietnam, um, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and, and later the assassination of his brother, uh, Bobby Kennedy, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, um, I remember Louisiana's, um, where I grew up, Hurricane Camille, the Bay of Pigs, the Manson murders, the riots in Chicago and Detroit. And they weren't exactly the good old days, but days and years when an entire nation experienced a huge, huge cultural shift. And I began to think, you know, maybe it wasn't so good back then. Um, maybe the memories I have um, aren't really lost. They've been covered up. And um, I don't really like thinking about all that stuff. Or maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's not so bad now. I mean, times are different. They're very different. But different doesn't necessarily warrant instant judgment. And positive changes really comes out of negative criticism. In other words, you know, complaining doesn't fix anything. Complaining about the youth of today is nothing new. The world is passing through troublous times. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraints. They talk as if they know everything. And what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. As for girls, they are forward, immodest, and unladylike in speech, behavior, and dress. <laughs> oh, God, that was... Over 800 years ago, he was a French priest that played a key role during the First Crusade, and, and, um, and he delivered this sermon. Think about how long ago that was. And if you're like me, you don't want to complain all the time about the culture of teens today. Who wants to be seen as a crotchety or decrepit instead of fun and cool? You know, I, I want to understand today's youth culture, not frame it as an, an evil culture with no hope. If I see it like that, not only am I judging those kids that live with us at Heartlight, I'm judging my grandkids, their friends. Um, and then, then I'm also questioning what hope do they have for their futures then if it's such a bad time? What I strive to do is to understand so I can help my kids navigate through today's times, which seem to be far different than the one I grew up in, yet they're so similar in their challenges that one of the major challenges remains to bring timeless truth and wisdom to an ever-changing world. This challenge isn't um, the sole goal of parenting, um, first and foremost, the, the intent is to connect with your children during their teen years, and you can be the connection that offers hope. You know, you can complain about today's youth. You can, you know, you can uh, always complain and, and, and just realize that it's blocking the connection you have with your kids. So instead, I suggest you pursue ways of connecting that will move your children to bond with you so strongly that you'll be able to offer them what they cannot get from any other person in the world. You know, and I've found this, that, that connection doesn't automatically happen because you're a parent. 
you know, deep engagement isn't inherited, it's cultivated. And you cultivate it every time you've, you are very intentional in reaching out to your children in ways that make them want to reach back to you. So when you're intentional about asking for an invitation into their world instead of trying to drag them um, out of it and into yours, you can help your children get to the places that they want to be. And you can also help keep them from ending up in places they don't want to be. And this process begins with parents asking questions. And, and, and hopefully it blossoms into a relationship where the child starts asking a lot of questions. And this exchange is a process, uh, one that I've learned from relationships that I've had with thousands of teens. There's five necessary steps in this process of engagement and connection. Um, so I want to unpack them just a little bit here. And, and, and the first thing I would say is, is this, and, and uh, I always mark it down so that I, I make sure I, I, I get this right and I'm putting them in the right order. But, but during the first years of, of our kids' lives, I think we get involved uh, for our own selfish reasons. And, and part of it is because we love their cuteness and we enjoy watching them grow and and we feel ecstatic when they give us a name, no matter how corny or funny those names may be if you're a grandparent. Uh, babies make us feel good, look good, and put a smile on our face. And I don't think there's anything wrong with our intention at this point. Pride in your prog- or your progeny is pretty normal. Then those cute little kids turn 12 and it all begins to change. And that's exactly when parents begin uh, had better change with them as well. And adolescence is that critical point that could determine your level of involvement for the rest of their lives. And so this becomes a very crucial time. And it's during this critical time that you have to shift your focus of your relationship from your interest to theirs. And so I would tell you the first thing again is you've got to show interest. If your child feels like for a moment that your purpose and intent in their life is just to transfer all the wisdom that you gain in life, you will bore them to tears and you will quickly find yourself irrelevant in their lives. And it will be apparent to them that you you are in this thing just to fulfill your own agenda, not because you really care about them. They will see it as nothing more than another program that is more about you than them. And they can smell that a mile away. You know, you may think that adolescents and teens have no common sense, but they can be incredibly savvy and they can quickly spot a fake. Remember, parenting is not about you. It's about your kids. And so Paul wrote this and and said this in Philippians. He said, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. That To me, it's somewhat amazing that, that Paul is encouraging us to say, hey, hey, look beyond yourself. Look to the interest of your child. So when we go to our children and say, I'm, I'm interested in you because of you, I don't want you to be interested to me, in me because of me. It is basically saying, I'm going to put you first. And so the, the second part of this is shifting 
you know, in the way that we engage with them, looking to their interests, it's to change the focus of your interest. And one of the hardest challenges of parenting is sharing the wisdom you have gathered through life in a way that applies to their world and their culture, not the world that you grew up in and learned from. I want to repeat that. Um, One of the hardest challenges of parenting is sharing the wisdom you've gathered through your life in a way that applies to their world and their culture, not the world that you grew up in and learned from. And that, if I had to encapsulate everything I'm talking about today, it would be in that, that sentence. You know, I know that teens show an interest in me um, because I have an interest in them. You know, they're longing for someone to listen to their hearts and their stories. They want to be loved and they want to be cared for beyond the five loved languages. They want to do things together. They want to eat where they want to eat, go where they want to go, and have someone help them fulfill their dreams. So showing interest in your kids isn't something that you do. This must become who you are. Are you following me still? Okay, the second thing is this. You've got to adapt to their world. Okay, so 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 you live in a world of immodest girls who are unladylike in their behavior, foolish boys that only think of themselves, and in a world where kids have a great sense of entitlement. They're impatient, they know everything, and hardly respect their elders. And that is exactly what Peter the Hermit saw, you know, way back around 1080 AD. And that is the world of kids today. And in every age, it seems, but it's but it's the world that your kids have to live in. Now, now, those are the cards that you've been dealt. They're more than just cards. They're the kids that you love. And if you want to be an influence, make an impact on their lives, and you'll have to adapt your message so it includes an understanding of the world that they live in. So many times we're trying to pull kids out of the pit by by standing at the, at the edge of the pit, yelling at them, telling them what they need to do to get their lives in order and what they really need is for somebody to walk down that ladder in the pit with them and help them out and engage with them differently so they can see the way, not just hear about the way. And so you've got to adapt to their world. And when I say adapt, I'm not telling you to scrap your standards and, and beliefs or to discard that which you hold to be true and value, valuable. I, I'm, I'm telling you that your message has to apply to their world. You or your message can't be a stick in the mud, but it's got to be pliable and adjustable to wrap around the issues that they're facing. Usually the people who criticize the cards they've been dealt can't adapt And that gives them very little ability to speak into the lives of their teen children. You know, you'll be like a major department store or company uh, that we see going belly up. They couldn't adapt to the changing times and keep up with the transformation or conversion of a culture that's made some pretty extreme shifts in the last few years. So they close up shop. And I'm saying don't close the doors on the teens that you love. If your message is relevant, don't change your content, but do change the way you approach it and say, you know, so the intended recipients of the message can embrace the message, engage with uh, applicability, and value the effectiveness 
of the wisdom shared. As I travel across North America, I, I see a great decline in church attendance by those who are about to graduate from high school and those in their late teens. In other words, there are a million kids in the seventh grade youth program, and only four of them remain in the church by their senior year. And and I may be exaggerating and, and joking a little bit here, but there is a major drop. And this age group tends to take a, a hiatus from church, if you will. And I think they do so for, for a, a couple of adaptability reasons. And that first reason is that many teens believe that your church isn't that important anymore. The busyness of their schedules coupled with other interests crowds out the time for church and church-related activities. And the second reason is that youth leaders have been slow to adapt the gospel message to an age group that has gone through major and radical upheavals in its socialization process. And I'm not... faulting any youth guys or gals, you know, the immense and rapid changes within the youth youth culture has caught them off guard as well. But these two reasons speak volumes to the the need of the adaptability of the message to a new tech-savvy but relationship-poor generation that is often overwhelmed by life as they know it. Adaptability is, is more than a pastor wearing an untucked shirt and ripped or skinny jeans. It's more than current and contemporary worship songs with lights down low and a few candles burning through the fog machine. It's an understanding the needs and speaking directly to the issues that teens are facing and then giving directives that speak directly to the problems and matters in a way that doesn't alienate teens. So here's a challenge for most parents. You know, whether we like it or not, we're the pioneer parents of this generation. And we as parents are trying to figure out how this tech world of smartphones and excessive access to information plays out in the family structure. And it's a new world for our kids that is becoming their new normal. And it's a new world for parents trying to fit their normal into what many of us would consider abnormal. It's a challenge, but it's one that we all must pioneer and figure out if we're going to adapt the message of our hearts to the life of our teens. Here's the third thing I would tell you. You got to spend time building a relationship. You know, a, a real relationship takes the investment of time, effort, and resources. Um, And the key word is investment. The focus of that investment has got to be to benefit your teen, and it's motivated out of love for your child. Like Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said this, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives as well. And so teens are looking for genuineness, authenticity, and relationships that offer something more than only correction when they mess up. They desire someone who's frank, honest, and isn't afraid to speak the truth in love because they know the motivation comes from a deep empathy for their plight. I would tell you this, if you have a discipline problem, you have a relationship problem. If you have a respect problem, you have a relationship problem. If you have an obedience problem, you have a relationship problem. And in a relationship, you will see the problems. And in a relationship, you will discover your teen's motivation for change. A teen doesn't change because of an authoritarian approach. A teen listens to authority because 
of relationship. Your relationship with your children could be the only voice of wisdom they listen to in a time of their lives when they aren't listening to God. You know, the need to have fun together is paramount. And how much you laugh together is a good measure of that relationship. The amount of communication between you and your children will be an indicator of how healthy your relationship is. So my encouragement is this. Learn every way possible to communicate hope and perspective. And be sure to keep up with technology so you maintain and entertain these new forms of communication. Because if you don't know how to do this, ask your kids. Because they'll be happy to teach you. And it'll give you an opportunity to learn how to do something new together. Okay, here's the fourth thing I would tell you. Create a sense of connection. And the connection I'm talking about is the next step in a relationship with your child. And that connection is more than you just making things happen. It's when communication, effort, and desire to spend time together become a two-way street. And this is what you want to happen with your teenage children. It's more important than the, than the message that you have to share. It has to be cultivated and, and watered and fertilized and allowed to grow. Let, let me give you an example of that. My granddaughter, Miley, and I, and Miley's now 20 years old, um, we love country music. Always have, uh, always will, and I've always joked in, in different speaking opportunities where I ask people if they listen to country music and they raise their hands and I tell everybody else that that they'd all be a lot healthier if they did listen to country music. And she knows the lyrics to just about every country song. Um, and how she does it, I, I, I have no idea. Uh, but because of her love for the genre of music, I joined the Country Music Association so we can attend the Country Music Awards and uh, every year. I purchase the tickets, I book the flight, and we go. We laugh, we take pictures, we laugh more, we cheer on the artist, and we leave Nashville with memories that will last a lifetime. I purchase shirts and programs for her, and I provide opportunities for her to meet as many artists as I can. And it's all for one purpose to keep the connection we've found and hopefully nurture it until my dying day. We text each other with news about upcoming concerts and, you know, up-and-coming artists, and we look together for the next opportunity to spend time at these events. And, and the result is this. A special connection ties our hearts together. And it's a tie that binds when other things in our life aren't quite as she hopes they would be. And that connection has been a lifeline for Miley and for me. So here's some things that I've learned about, about connection with kids. Connection is more than just a relationship. Well, anyone can have that. But it's a conduit for providing hope and direction. Connection is not just making sure you have great Christmas pics of all your family to send out to friends. And connection is not measured by the number of pictures your child um, uh, that you have posted on your social networking sites. And connection is not just appearing to have a relationship. A connection is having a relationship that's, that's measured by two-way efforts to remain engaged with one another. Connection is not another opportunity for correction. Connection is a mutual love for one another that's established because a parent determines to pour life and love into a child who longs to be connected.
Hearing what I'm saying? Okay, here's number five. Invite questions. You know, when I show interest in any teen and, and, uh, you know, even my own kids and now even my grandkids, I do it by asking questions about their life, their thoughts, and their heart. And and it's not the interrogating type of questions that puts them on the spot or makes them feel like I'm looking for problems, but it's the type of questions that convey a great sense of value. And the questions, you know, I ask also give them an example of what it's like to show interest in others, to consider others to be more important than yourself. And my hope is this, that they'll begin to ask me questions because they see me as a parent or a grandparent that's full of wisdom, not correction, and one who is genuinely focused on bettering their lives and one who's willing to put money where his mouth is and share time and effort and resources to further the relationship. And this is what I want to happen. I want them to start asking me questions. And you'll know you have a connection when your kids start asking you some of the same questions like, hey, can I tell you something? Hey, can we get together for dinner? Uh, Hey, Dad, did you ever smoke pot or get drunk? Hey, Mom, did you and Dad ever have sex before you got married? Hey, Dad, what if I marry the wrong person? Or, Mom, did you ever fall away from Jesus? I mean, just didn't get it sometimes. Or, hey, what's the important life lesson you found to be the most important. You know, as a parent, this is what you've been waiting for. It's their invitation, uh, you know, to you to speak the truth, however painful it might be, into their lives. They're asking because they want answers. And their questions will let you know that there's a connection and that they want wisdom. And over time, you'll find that talking about the hard stuff and sharing the reality of the lessons you've learned will convey those rare qualities of good relationships called genuineness and authenticity, two items that are in high demand in today's teen culture. They are learning. You can be a safe place, a sounding board as they learn how to function in their culture in a healthy way. They're just doing it differently than you did. And hopefully they'll do it with a foundation of wisdom that you speak into their lives so their learning isn't quite as painful as your acquisition of wisdom was. And it's one of the greatest challenges of parents and grandparents, but it's so worth it. So so here's my point in all this. Quit complaining about your kids. Begin the trek to building a relationship that connects you to the very heart of your children. And remember, it's not what you do, and it's not necessarily about what you say. It's more about who you are in the presence of your kids that has the greatest influence. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, visit parentingtodaysteens.org. And to learn more about Heartlight, visit heartlightministries.org. If this podcast has been helpful to your family, please share it or give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can listen to Parenting Today's Teens wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.